When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was funny, as I was interviewing all these people who took sabbaticals, it was kind of like watching an infomercial. Such unfiltered, positive gushing. What's the catch here? Is it really just this awesome? Welcome to The Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast from MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelp. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And I'm Charles Passy, a reporter at MarketWatch. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. We're getting to that time of year when it seems like just about everybody is on vacation. You've done all the planning, you've booked your tickets, you've set your out-of-office message and turned off Slack. Whether two days or two weeks, you're ready to recharge. But what if your break could be longer? Today, we're looking at an old practice that could be used to new effect, the sabbatical. Basically, the main distinction between a sabbatical and a regular old vacation is that typically, at least in the U.S., a vacation doesn't really last more than two weeks. Only rarely does it do that. A sabbatical, though, allows you to take weeks or sometimes months off and not work for that whole time. And apart from just being longer, it opens up the opportunity for things that just aren't possible if you're only away from work for a matter of days or for two weeks. That's Joe Pinsker. He's a staff writer for The Atlantic and recently wrote about sabbaticals. The main thing that popped up is that people talked about being able to get real rest. One person likened the difference between a vacation and a sabbatical as being like the difference between a power nap and a full night's sleep. Pinsker says that rest allowed the folks he talked with to be able to do all sorts of things. They worked on personal projects. They pursued neglected hobbies. They reevaluated their careers. If you spend several months away from your job, it lets you get some distance from the world of work and the things that are valued at work, like productivity, efficiency, and advancement. And when you're on a sabbatical, you get to do things because you like them. <laughs> you notice the sorts of activities that you start drifting towards naturally, not because you think you should do them for your job or you have to do them for your job, but just because you want to do them. It can kind of lead to these lasting, potentially lasting shifts. It's not just a matter of temporary relaxation, but it's a refocusing of your life's priorities, maybe. In the academic world, sabbaticals are more common. We'll get back to that in a minute. But recently, as the pandemic has changed the pace of life and work for so many people, new discussions around sabbaticals in the corporate world seem to be picking up steam. The concept actually goes back much further. Do you want me to start in the Bible stuff? Sabbaticals go all the way back to biblical times. For starters, sabbatical is related to the word Sabbath. That's the weekly day of rest. The original derivation of sabbatical, though, is from the Old Testament concept of what's called a sabbatical year, which is the idea that every seven years, there would be a year when people left 
farmland alone and allowed it to regrow and regenerate, and also financial debts were forgiven. In 1880, the idea of sabbaticals moved away from being overtly religious and into the world of academia. That year, Harvard began what is believed to be the first sabbatical program for professors. They did keep one element of the biblical approach, though, the timing. Every seven years, professors were granted a year of sabbatical. After Harvard implemented its program, some other colleges followed along, but it primarily stayed a feature of sort of the academic world. And it wasn't until about 100 years later, sometime maybe in the 70s or 80s, when companies started adopting them and offering sabbaticals to their employees as well. That's also where you see a break from the seven-year model. Some companies do it every seven years. Some companies do it every five, every 10. They sort of start picking different multiples, and that's how it's evolved. So, Stephanie, you work in academia, and sabbaticals are legendary there. Have you taken one? You're not going to believe it, and maybe I shouldn't even tell you this, but I haven't. And I've been teaching for over 20 years. And they're supposed to be about giving you time to do your research. That's really what they're for in the academic world. But somehow I've managed to do the research and continue teaching without carving out that extra time. It's kind of weird. Have you ever had one? I've actually taken two in my career, which I would say almost the opposite of you. I don't know many journalists who have done that, partly because they were unpaid, really. In both cases, all the cliches of recharging your batteries, getting some new perspective. In one case, I tried some other writing projects I wanted to work on. I mean, these were things that were incredibly valuable to me. And I can't imagine a person working in just about any field that wouldn't benefit from that. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, that all sounds pretty good, right? Time off to do whatever you want? Sabbaticals aren't typically that. For starters, they're still very uncommon in the U.S., though companies as varied as Citigroup, REI, and Intel have programs typically attached to the number of years of service. Sabbaticals are also often unpaid, which means that even when a company has a program, many employees can't afford to use it. But there does seem to be some momentum for sabbaticals. The rethinking of work as a result of the pandemic is part of the reason. New attitudes toward mental health are another. The shift in thinking about time off has even become part of LinkedIn. New findings from LinkedIn show about half of hiring managers say career breaks are becoming more common. Nearly the same amount think people who have taken breaks in their careers are an untapped talent pool. This spring, the professional networking company added a new feature for its users, Career Break. You'll be able to see how the life experiences and skills people have built while they're away will match the skills that you're looking for in your open roles, the company wrote in a press release. Career breaks are becoming more mainstream, and it's easy to think that a rise in sabbaticals isn't too far behind. Here's Joe Pinsker again. When I talked with people who took sabbaticals, the stuff that they did really ran the gamut from ambitious to mundane. The ambitious people were traveling the world. They were backpacking. They were seeing as many countries as they could, or maybe they were diving into a new hobby, like learning everything there is to know about woodworking, almost with the same focus that you might bring to a job. At the same time, there were lots of other people who just took a sabbatical as a time to recharge, and it gave them more time for the stuff that I think all of us wish we had more time for, like 
calling family members or hanging out with friends or exercising or reading, just sort of the leisure activities that you're usually squeezing into the crevices of time left from work. And so a sabbatical was then a way to kind of go big or, or go small. I started a company out of grad school and it was kind of my dream job and ran it for seven years. That's DJ Dadana. We were a social enterprise fintech firm, so helping people get access to finance in 20 different countries. And I just was feeling not myself. I was feeling, it turns out, very burnt out. And I didn't really know what to do to solve it because I feel like when you hear about people burning out from their jobs, it's some job that that folks could understand you being burnt out from. But if you've found your dream job and you're burning out from that, it raises all sorts of existential questions, right? Like, if this doesn't satisfy me, what will? So Dadana decided to take an extended leave. He and his co-founder prepared the business to go on in his absence. Then he left for four months, the first time he had taken off more than two weeks since high school. I want to stress, everyone's sabbaticals are different. There's different things you can do at different times in your life, depending on what kind of resources you have, like whether you have dependents. So at this time in my life, I, I was pretty unconstrained. And I had wanted to dedicate some time to something I thought was important, but rarely ever urgent in normal life, which was the spiritual side. Dadana embarked on a long, silent meditation retreat. He spent six weeks on a Buddhist pilgrimage in Japan, where he walked about 900 miles. But he also found himself doing more everyday activities that he hadn't necessarily had time for before. You know, those are kind of the marquee events, but a lot of stuff that just doesn't fit easily or neatly inside the confines of a normal life and normal American vacation schedule. So nursing a relative to health, helping, you know, a cousin move, remodeling a kitchen myself, playing instruments more, all these things that I feel like slip through the cracks when you are just so busy. The best way I can think about doing it is the aperture of a camera. I feel like the aperture just widened such that what I thought was the only path or the path that I would committed to, I suddenly realized that I could zoom out and do a lot of different things. And I could feel a very different way about what I did. You know, just the possibilities were endless. Dodonna says that new attitude was a lasting change when he returned to work after his sabbatical. I think in how I work, I've felt a lot more confidence around, you know, not worrying about how much money or resources or prestige that it kind of offers and feeling like more confidence in what I believe to be really important, being worth my time and, you know, can take obviously a long time to come to fruition. And Dodonna found himself taking on just such a project as a direct result of his sabbatical. I had had what I felt like was a pretty transformational experience and everyone I talked to expressed similar things, right? But all you could find on the internet are people's blog posts about how great it is. There was no rigorous research or kind of like objective information. Dodonna founded the Sabbatical Project, an organization that's trying to help this type of leave go mainstream. He partnered with Matt Bloom, the director of the WorkWell program at the University of Notre Dame to do a qualitative study on sabbaticals. Their team set about interviewing 50 people in depth, asking questions about what led to their sabbaticals, what they were doing beforehand, and what happened after their time off. 
we took those and broke them down into little bits of terminology that people used, you know, segments or patterns that we saw and what people did, how they entered into sabbaticals and, and what happened afterwards, and then created, you know, a kind of like quantitative approach to figure out what was causal and what the observations were. And while the participants' experiences were very individual, some patterns emerged. Folks were either pushed or pulled into a sabbatical. So the majority of people found a sabbatical taking them. In those cases, Dodonna says, it was typically a sudden event that forced the change, something like an illness or grieving the loss of a family member. For people who were pushed into taking time off, the first stage, recovery time, tended to take longer. After that recovery stage, Dodonna and his team found that people tended to embrace exploration and then move into a stage they've termed practice. So, you know, anything from accomplishing something, writing a book, or you're doing an internship or a project that is work-like activities, kind of putting your learnings and everything into practice. Dodonna's research found there were three types of sabbaticals. First, the working holiday, when somebody had a professional or personal project they wanted to tackle. There were also what Dodonna calls free divers, who tended to do things like travel and take a more extended vacation. And then, he says, there was a final category, the quest. We took this terminology from Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, which is you're weaving together these three types of trajectories. And those folks typically had the most transformative experience as far as you know, making big changes in their life at work or in their personal life because they were able to put some of those things they explored and found out about themselves into like trial practice. One thing Dodonna didn't find much in his conversations, regrets. I've been searching far and wide for folks who regret taking a sabbatical. There were folks who had pretty negative experiences on sabbatical in our study. People who got divorced during their sabbatical, people who you know took care of a, a dying loved one. And you know, even though those things happen, folks look back on it and they say, I'm really glad I had the time and space to deal with that issue or consider whether this person I'm married to is the one I want to start a family with. Joe Pinsker from The Atlantic agrees. It was funny as I was interviewing all these people who took sabbaticals, it was kind of it was kind of like watching an infomercial, such unfiltered, positive gushing about something that it almost makes you suspicious of it. So the whole time I was kind of trying to find like, you know, what's the catch here? Is it really just this awesome? A few people said that they were worried about their money while they were away from work. They were worried about what their next job would be if they were doing a sabbatical between jobs. And some other people felt a sort of pressure to be productive during their time off. And I thought that these complaints were really revealing because they aren't actually about sabbaticals. They're about like the culture of work. Coming up, if people want sabbaticals, what would it take for more companies to offer them? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. 
Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. High inflation has impacted many of us. But what happens when prices go up 55, 67, or even 276%? It makes living more costly. It eats into your paycheck. At the end of the day, the salary itself, it's not enough. And money quickly loses value. You can't see it, you can't do anything. Check out our complete series on extreme world inflation from A to Z, from What's News, plus other exclusive content on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Welcome back to the best new ideas in money. Before we jump back into the episode, we have a quick announcement. MarketWatch is having its first Best New Ideas in Money Festival this fall, September 21st and 22nd, and it'll be right here in New York City. You can expect to hear from a lot of really smart speakers about all things money and investing. People like AOL's Steve Case, Ray Dalio of Bridgewater Associates, and FanDuel's Amy Howe. And Stephanie, I think I might be missing someone important on this list of speakers. Ah, that's very smooth, Charles. Yes, I will be speaking there too. And I'll be there too. You can sign up and learn more. Go to marketwatch.com festival for more details. Now, back to the show. Before the break, we heard about how sabbaticals came to be and why many employees feel they benefit from them. But how do companies feel about them? If the number of employers offering sabbaticals is any indication, they're not exactly a runaway hit. Well, first I should just mention that sabbaticals are not very common. It is something that's not required by law in the U.S. and most countries don't require sabbaticals, but there are employers who do offer it as a benefit to their employees. And it also benefits the employer. That's Amber Clayton. I'm the Senior Director of Knowledge Center Operations with the Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM for short. SHRM is a professional association for human resources, so they've looked into how benefits can help both the employee and the employer. From the employer perspective, when they offer sabbaticals, it could be used as a talent acquisition tool, an employee retention tool, employee engagement, but it can help employers by allowing employees to take time off especially those positions that may be creative, that helps to generate new ideas that they have when they come back from those sabbaticals. It can also help someone be more productive. They come back recharged, refreshed. That creativity or innovation can also help to develop new products or services that maybe were not thought of previously. Joe Pinsker from The Atlantic points out, sabbaticals can also offer an opportunity for executives to get necessary perspective. When leaders are able to take sabbaticals, it allows them time to break out of their day-to-day obligations and start thinking about really, really big picture stuff again. The stuff that really matters when you're trying to steer the direction of an organization. Companies might be hesitant to offer a sabbatical program because of the cost or organizational disruption. But Pinsker says sabbaticals can also help develop new talent within a company. They also work in an interesting way a couple levels down from the sort of executive offices because there are situations where 
if somebody's manager takes a sabbatical, they have to sort of step up as an interim leader into their manager's position, which takes some planning and it's resource intensive and time intensive to set that up. But it also means that you sort of get to give some employees a trial run of how it works to take on more responsibility. And that can end up being really valuable for a company because they can see who maybe should be promoted or, or given some more responsibilities. So I think that the idea of sabbaticals from a business perspective often gets written off as this thing that's just like, well, why would we pay somebody to not work? <laughs> but I think there are kind of unsung and really kind of under-researched dynamics that, that may actually end up working to a company's benefit. DJ Dodonna from the Sabbatical Project says, as an entrepreneur, he views sabbaticals as an insurance policy against what he calls key personnel risk. By practicing having folks leave, transferring responsibilities, bringing people back on, makes for a more resilient organization that can handle bumps in the road like turnover. It's, it's a fact of every company anyway, especially, obviously, more so during the Great Resignation. All right, you might be one of them, or at least it's a good chance that you at least know someone who has recently quit their job. A new report shows 40% of workers are considering leaving their jobs in the next three to six months, so we're not done yet with this. Uh, here to talk we'll come back about- to the Great Resignation in just a moment. While burnout and stress can happen to anyone, the way the pandemic made us totally rethink so many aspects of work brought more attention to the issue. Here's Amber Clayton again. We know from the pandemic that many people are burned out, stressed. Clayton says that a survey from SHRM found that 40% of respondents felt hopeless, burned out, depressed, or exhausted during the pandemic. She says giving time off can help employees recharge, unplug, and come back ready to work. And it could also help them prevent employee turnover. And that's something employers have had to deal with a lot more lately. More than 47 million workers left their jobs last year, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And many have been able to negotiate raises in their new roles. According to a survey from ZipRecruiter and the Wall Street Journal, 64% of respondents who changed jobs got a raise when they made the switch. But it's not just about the money. Things like flexible work-from-home policies and other benefits have the potential to attract and keep workers. Right now, with the labor shortage, many employers are struggling to find talent and struggling to retain their employees. And they're thinking outside the box as far as what types of benefits that they're offering. And they're looking at their total compensation strategy or their plans. And sabbaticals, one of those benefits that could potentially be very attractive to people. As DJ Dodonna points out, companies are made up of people. The positive experiences sabbaticals offer for employees might be justification enough, but he says he's realistic about the constraints employers face. What I would say is think about how those things I mentioned from the personal side would play to being a better employee. So coming back with more creativity, uh, more engagement because you've healed yourself and are in greater health and, and awareness, and more loyalty to the company who offered you that policy. So far, the data on companies offering sabbaticals hasn't budged much. Despite the positive experiences they can offer on both the employee and the employer end, they're still pretty rare. As of 2019, which is their most recent data, Sherm found that only 5% of companies offered paid sabbaticals and 11% offered unpaid. 
those numbers have stayed pretty flat over the last decade. But Amber Clayton says a shift may be taking hold. Anecdotally, we are hearing that employers are considering it, offering it as a new benefit. And we know that there are many companies out there that already provide sabbaticals or they've started to during the pandemic. Companies like Google and McDonald's, Adobe and HubSpot, they all offer some type of a sabbatical leave program. So if more companies were to start offering sabbaticals, what would have to change about work? Joe Pinsker says, first, employers would need to think differently about productivity. He says it reminds him of another topic he's reported on, the four-day work week. A pattern that I noticed both with the four-day work week and sabbaticals is that it seems like companies are reluctant to try them because of this underlying belief that if you aren't working right now in this minute, you are being lazy, you aren't being productive, you aren't helping. It seems like there's a hesitation to experiment with this stuff and that that reluctance comes from this irrational fear of sort of, what if somebody isn't working every minute of their day? But Pinsker says companies might instead think of both sabbaticals and the four-day work week not as less work, but better work. Yes, it is the case that you'd be paying people not to do their jobs, but you have to think about what that's going to do to their work outside of that sabbatical period once they get back. Are they going to be sticking around at your company for longer? Are they going to be doing better work? Are they going to be just sort of even just physically and psychologically fully 100%, which will allow them to be better workers? Not every employer could just implement a sabbatical program overnight, and Pinsker says there's still not enough data on whether they would be a good fit for every company. For now, employers that are experimenting with them are typically your standard office jobs or tech companies. It's also important to note that not every company would offer paid sabbaticals, and unpaid ones are still much more common. Without more paid sabbaticals, many workers wouldn't be able to utilize the benefit. And even then, Pinsker says a sabbatical isn't a silver bullet. I do want to stress that healing from burnout is one thing, but being cured of burnout permanently is another. And when you think about what sabbaticals can do, they aren't a long-term cure. They may help you heal and recover from being really overwhelmed and stressed out and burnt out at work. But unless something about the nature of your job changes, you're probably just going to revert right back to the misery that you had before the sabbatical. DJ Dodonna says that in a best-case scenario, the benefits of sabbaticals can reorient how a person sees themselves at their job. We think about it as coming back with more affirmation, authenticity, and autonomy. So affirmation, they're, they're able to be like present and assured in their life and their jobs. They're more clear about kind of boundaries between work and life. Authenticity, like they've gotten an ability to really go out and prove themselves and rediscover who they were and what's important to them and explore and find new things that they hadn't been able to do. When we interviewed people for this episode, there was one nagging question we couldn't help but ask. Have you ever taken a sabbatical? And if you could, what would you do? I have never had a sabbatical. I would love to take a sabbatical and be able to travel abroad. It's something I've always wanted to do. Italy, Greece, Ireland, and uh, Spain. <laughs> and Germany. Great question. I have not taken one. I've worked at the same place for the past nine years after graduating college. 
Unfortunately, it's a cliche, but I would just like everybody else go try to travel the world. Right now at this phase of my career, it feels very far away and also very needed, but obviously I would be the butt of every joke because the sabbatical guy taking a sabbatical. I'd like to do a, a kind of artist in residence somewhere. Would love to learn how to sail and be able to do a cross-ocean sailing trip. But yeah, I'm excited for the next one and hopefully it comes sooner than later. How about you? Thanks for listening to the best new ideas in money. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to Joe Pinsker, DJ Dodonna, and Amber Clayton. To learn more about changes in the workplace, head to marketwatch.com. I'm Stephanie Kelton. And I'm Charles Passy. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast from MarketWatch. Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer, and the producers are Michael McDowell, Meta Lutzhoft, and Katie Ferguson, who also mixed this episode. The associate producer for Best Case Studios is Hannah Liebwitz-Lockard. Additional editing help from Brandon Feudernick. Jeremy Binks is our news editor, and Tim Roston is the executive editor for MarketWatch. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea.